God is working in us, and he wants to work through us. Who believes that? He wants to use your life. Remember, I've been saying your purpose is not to be used by God. That's where people get off. Your purpose is to know God. But in that purpose, God fulfills his purpose. Your purpose is to know him. His purpose is something greater than we can understand. He will use you and you knowing him. Amen? You let him do his purpose through you because we have actually given him full control, right? So it is not our purpose. We should not ask the Lord, what is my purpose? We should say, Lord, what is your purpose? Right? I want to know you, Lord. You're going to do a work in me, and then you're going to do a work through me. So let's just get right into his word. Amen. I want to uh, look with you in the book of James chapter 4. But uh, let me just say this, that uh, last week God posed some questions. And I'm not even going to tell you what all the questions were, but they were in my spirit. And, and I was kind of out of nowhere. I just sat down one morning in my studies with the Lord, and the Lord just said some things. It was clear enough that I actually opened my notes, and I'm like, I need to write these things down. Sometimes the Lord speaks to us, and, you know, you get so used to kind of just listening for the voice of God in the Word, that God's constantly showing us things and doing things in our lives that sometimes you forget, and I felt in 2023 that we needed to write some things down, and they would be an encouragement. I asked Jeannie to penned some things down, and there was some interesting things that Annie was having some confirmations, and Jeannie was having some confirmations of things that I was thinking, and we were saying, and it was all at once, and I believe the Lord had us write some things down to encourage us, because what happens is sometimes we get to a moment where our faith is weakened, and that's what everybody say, rock of remembrance. Everybody know that term, rock of remembrance. You know why they did that. The Bible says why. It says that sometime you're going to forget. Sometimes you're going to get weak. And there's a place that you can look back to and say, God moved in our lives right here. Who has a place that God moved in your life? Right? We need to go back to that place right now and say, Lord, you moved in my life there. I'm not telling you how or when to do it now, but I know that if you moved in my life there, that I'm going to trust that you're going to do it now. So God's posed some questions in my spirit, and, and I knew that I needed to stop and I needed to write them down for that very reason and to remember what God is doing. And one of the questions that he asked me is that if he were to show up, would I be ready? Would I be ready if the Lord showed up? It was such a simple question, and yet it was such a deep, profound question. Is one that really made me search my spirit, search my soul, and I was just trying to understand what that would, what that would mean. And, and I, I know, I want to just make some statements. God is always with us. Amen. Who believes that? I just said it during worship. God is always with us. We need to believe that because that's what the word tells us. Doesn't matter what you think or you feel. And I'm just thinking here, standing here today, that Paul was just beaten, right? He had just gotten another beating. And what did he do? He goes right into his cell and he begins to worship God. Why? Because he believed that even though his physical circumstances were oppressive, to say the least, that he had a relationship with God. And that's the place he went to. Amen. Let's say, come on, we're not New Age. Right? We're not hyper-spiritualists, but Paul went to a place, didn't he? 
He went somewhere, didn't he? He, went, he? he removed himself from his circumstances and from that cell, and he put himself in a place where God is still God, and, and God's called him, and this relationship that they had was more important, or not necessarily, that's not the right words, it was more real. It was, there was a greater reality in that than in the physical that he actually was experiencing. Isn't that amazing? That the spiritual connection between him and the Lord took precedent over the physical circumstances he was in. Amen. And so I want to say that, that God is always with us. Amen. Let's just say it out loud. God is always with us. And I believe, and, 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 I, and I preach it, I believe and I preach it, he's with us, but I also know that Jesus talks about a readiness for his second coming. Right, everybody knows that the Lord is, he's, there's many parables, which I don't have time to get into today, but you can read them. For instance, the ten virgins, just, off, you know, just one example, but Jesus talks about it like being like a thief coming in the night. All right, there are many examples of people either being ready or not ready. Amen, who believes that? And so, but this was a little bit different. This was the Lord just posing a question kind of outside the box. What if I wanted to move in your life? What if I suddenly wanted to do something in you and through you? Would you be ready for that? Not, not my second coming, and I'm not talking about you wondering, was I there or am I not there? That's why I made those points clear, right? He wasn't saying, I'm here, you know, I'm not there, and then God, like people are praying, people get in churches and say, Lord, show up as if he's not there. That's not what he's saying. If I come in at another level, everybody say another level. And I want to go into our word, and we're going to see that God was with his people because he promises it, but there were opportunities, there were times where God actually somehow suspends time, suspends space, and reaches out to a person's heart and gives them an opportunity for a greater experience with him. We're not seeking experience, right? But what was that? It was something supernatural for Ultimately, uh, God would use them for his glory and for his purpose, but the person themselves also needed to be willing, needed to submit, needed to obey, and then they began to experience God in a way that no one else did. Amen. What if God wanted an even deeper, more powerful relationship with me and through me? That's the question. Would I be ready for him to move in my life? If the Lord just said to me, and and we're going to look here uh, in a moment, but if the Lord just said, I need you to clear your plate, I'm having lunch with you today, would I make the time for him? I was just thinking how funny it is that we say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Lord, I love you so much. I just don't have time for you. But am I, am I willing, if the Lord just says, clear your plate, I want to sit and I want to have lunch with you today, would I be willing to do that? Would I, would I, Listen, and, and we say, okay, yeah, in the flesh, in the physical, sure, anybody would do it because he's standing there. But what if he just said, I just want you to pull away. I want you just to be with me. Because again, Paul, right? Paul didn't have the upper room experience. He didn't have the communion, right? But Paul somehow understood. I, <laughs> I can't, I always love that story because it's such an overwhelming story to try to think about. Just be in again. Again, not, not the only time, but again. And there he is in that prison cell, and the Lord's like, let's just, we're going to have communion. I'm going to have communion with the Lord. And I'm just hearing the Spirit of God saying that this is really what is all about. It's all about knowing him. Amen. It's about knowing him. This is what our existence is here for, is to know 
God. It is not to do something for God. It's not even for God to do something through us. It's to know him. Everything else comes off of that foundation. It is only in knowing him that you can really do anything that matters. It is the rock that the Bible talks about that we build on. Everybody say we build on the rock. Amen. And the Bible warns us that you can build what could look exactly the same. Isn't that scary? The Bible says you could build two houses and they look the same, but one was built on the foundation of knowing him, and one looks just as amazing from the outside, but when the storm comes, it's washed away because it was built on a, a, a foundation. Let's just, say, let's just say what Jesus was implying. Yes, it's sand, but what was he saying? He, you built on a foundation other than knowing me. I'm the rock. Amen. So uh, what would happen... And the Lord just is asking if we would uh, keep giving him our hearts. And uh, one day we're going to step into a heavenly existence, right, where there is no flesh. Um, but the Lord is asking for our hearts here on the earth now. That's while we're still here. And the Lord wants us to know him here. It's not that we're just going to see him one day. We're going to see him face to face one day. But he wants to know us here and now. And uh, it's an interesting fine line that has happened, but it crept in, I don't know when, because I wasn't, I never lived before my time. But when I read my word, I see a disconnect from today's times and what I read in my word. And the disconnect I hear is that you repent of your sins, you come to the cross, you're forgiven, and one day you'll go to heaven. Those things are absolutely true. I am not arguing about those pillars to my faith. But what we're missing within the, the fine lines, the, the fine print of that statement, is that what the Lord really offered to us was life. He said, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And that's a big difference than just going to heaven one day, isn't it? Yes, heaven is still going to be a reality. I'm going to re reference there today in, in the scriptures. But we're going to miss really what God truly wants in our life and in this time in the earth by only thinking about heaven one day and not realizing that God wants to be with us here and now. I'm not talking about bringing heaven down. I'm talking about bringing God into my life and me actually knowing him. And last week, I walked, I quickly walked through examples from Noah building the ark. Who remembers last week? If not, you can listen to the podcast, or if you're listening to this podcast, you can go back to uh, week one, and I just titled this little mini-series. I don't know how long it's going to be, if it was just these two or more, but it's Are We Ready? And uh, I talked about Noah built the ark, and then, you know, Solomon's building the temple, and then all the way into the New Testament where the apostles are in Acts 2 and the, they're in the upper room. And what I find is the common denominator for all of these examples through my word, what they all had in common is that they were expecting, everybody say they were expecting, that if they obeyed God and if they prepared a place for God that he would show up. And even Noah, the reason I went to Noah because, you know, that's kind of pre the experiential part of God. When I read my Bible, I read about the characters, they experienced God. They didn't just learn about him, they experienced him. 
right up to Jesus. It was an experience with him. Paul, he doesn't see him in the flesh, but he's experiencing Christ. That's the difference between religion and Christianity. And we say it, but it's time to live it. And so Noah's interesting because you think, well, what's God have to do with him? He's just building an ark and God saves him. But what do you mean experience? But do you think that the Lord was like, okay, you built the ark. I'm going to seal you in and I'll see you in about 40 days. And then in about a year, you're going to land and then I'll see you then. Okay, bon voyage. We believe that the Lord got into the ark with him, right? Come on, as believers, we know when the Lord sealed them in, there was, they entered into a place together. They, they created together, God and Noah, a place to be together to ride upon the storm. And that's the same place, even though it's a micro version of it, that Peter and Jesus experienced when he stepped out onto the waves and walked on the waves. It was a micro experience of Noah in the sense that it was a moment and not, you know, a year on the, on, the, on the water. But there was a place that had been built and prepared, even though it was just as simple as obedience, that act of obedience created, it pushed space and time apart, and now Christ and Peter were one. Amen. And that's what I feel like the Lord was asking of us, that do you really get what I'm offering you here? And it's not just... Uh, a, a religion, and, and this was so interesting because, again, when the Lord spoke these things to me, it kind of it seemed to kind of come out of nowhere. I've been just preaching on being the king, the kingdom of priests for weeks, and I wasn't sure what I was going to uh, go into this the following week, and then just spoke these things to me very clearly. So let's look here at James four, as I've had you open to and see what the Lord is offering us still today, New Testament post the cross, post the blood, post Acts chapter 2, the Lord is offering us in James 4, tells us to humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and in verse 8, you may know it as draw near, and the Bible says here in the NLT to come close to God. You push your world aside, that's why humility is first, verse 7, that's why the devil, you know, he's going to keep, he's in the place of pride, so that's why the devil, that's why they're in the same verse. Humility and resisting the devil are the same thing. We stay in pride, we're letting the devil rule. You don't need to try to fight the devil. You just humble yourself before the Lord. You've already done the fight. That's the fight. The fight is will you just get low before the Lord? Are we truly willing to say, Lord? This used to be a, we used to say when I was growing up, things like, uh, Lord, you know, send me. And you had to be careful saying something like that because, you know, <laughs> the question was, are we, are we willing to go be a missionary? We don't talk a lot about missionaries anymore. But when I was growing up, you know, the idea of saying, Lord, you can do anything in my life and send me anywhere was kind of scary because you were like, well, I know there's people in Africa and, and some of these crazy places, right? Don't we remember this as kids? There's a lot more talk about missionaries. And you said, okay, Lord, you could do anything in my life. It's like, but, but I don't want to be a missionary. You can send me anywhere, but don't send me to those nations. But are we really willing to say, Lord, you can do anything in my life and send me anywhere? That's the type of person that he's talking about in James 4 here. And what happens is the devil has no control because you have no plan. You have no purpose. You have no will. 
And it, that's the only thing he can work in is your desires. That's we're drawn away. Also in James, the desire gives birth to sin. So if you don't have a desire, then we've already we've gotten to the root of the issue of sin. Right there, there it is. I, my desire is to please the Lord, and the Lord doesn't have those things for me. And I and and the thing is, when we do this, the Lord doesn't force you to live a hard, miserable life. Not that's that's not His walk. You talk to these people that are missionaries that love the Lord anyway, and they certainly would not say that it was horrible because they've learned to, to walk in this special place with God. So I'm not telling you you need to humble yourself so the Lord can crush you and, and abuse you and use you. That's not what he does. We see examples of what could look like that to build our character, and usually that's just for a season, but that is not the Lord's intent for your life. So when we do that, the Bible says that there's something supernatural that can happen. In my drawing near, and my coming close, this is what the Bible promises in verse 8. That if I do it, look what it says, God will come close to you. James 4 is just as much a reality for your life here today as it was when it was written. God is offering the same exact offer to us that if we will come in, if I will make a place for him, if I will make room for him, if I will draw closer to him, he will draw near to me. He will come close to me. And it goes on to say that we're going to, we need to, in verse 8, continuing to say, talking about washing our hands, purifying our hearts. And then it talks about this, this division in our hearts between God and the world, which is tied into verse 7, as I mentioned last week, because what he's really asking you to do is to separate from the world. And that is a mental choice, not physical. The physical must follow the mental, which means I must decide that this world doesn't own me first. You're never ever going to walk away from the things of this world until you have already gotten them, the ties of them in your heart, right? That's what I mean by the mind. You need to not care and not want, and you need to have this revel. We need a revelation. I say it like a broken record, and hopefully I keep saying it till the day I die. That's truly what I see when I read my word, and when I read about the people who got him and didn't, they had, maybe it doesn't say it in that exact word, it's not always revelation, Peter had a revelation. We know that others, maybe they're not using the word revelation, but it's clear their eyes were opened. And Jesus tells us in Revelation, we need eyes to see and ears to hear. To truly receive him, we need those eyes to see and ears to hear. We all have eyes. We all have ears. Some people are physically blind, physically deaf. One of my favorite stories, that was not a hindrance to Christ, was it? Because he was physically blind, and he's, as the Lord's passing by, he calls out to him. Meanwhile, those who were physically not blind are cursing him. So there's something that's greater than the physical eye, than the physical ear. There's something within your spirit that says, I want that Jesus. I need that Jesus. Something You hear something from his voice that goes past even the words I'm saying today that's calling you closer. I'm not accusing anybody of doing this, but I just I feel a warning. Just hit my spirit. Don't let this sermon just pass over our heads. 
I could put myself in that seat and give myself the same warning. So that wasn't judgment because I know it's very easy just to listen. We come in, we sit, we listen, especially, I don't know, Sunday mornings especially, right? Maybe we had a busy weekend. Don't just let it be a sermon. I believe the Lord's really speaking to us. Not that he doesn't every week, but I just felt that, t- that hit it in my spirit. It can easily just go like this, and we can move on. The Lord's plan for us is to know him. I said it, and I'm going to say it again. Anything else we do and any earthly plans God has for us comes from a place of knowing him. And I want to review some scriptures that I looked at when I preached on the new covenant. We did this some months ago, so I'll try to be quick. I always say I'm going to be quick. I'm never quick, but I'm going to try. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33 And I'm going back into this. Not only does it tie into it, but the Lord supernaturally, it doesn't matter. You don't need to even get in. I don't have the time to get into the details, but just got Jeremiah 31 to me supernaturally enough to get my attention. And he says this in verse 33. This is the new covenant. Everybody say the new covenant. Who knows that we walk in the new covenant? We don't walk in an old covenant. We walk in... What Jeremiah was prophesying about hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ and now thousands of years before you living here. Am I I talking too fast? Sometimes I talk really fast because I want to get to what I'm trying to get to. At least I got some comfort. I asked Tony Ann, who's a math teacher, do you have trouble getting through your lessons? And she says every time. Every single time I never get to what I'm trying to get to. So apparently that's normal. But I'm going to talk fast because I want to try to get to it. But the Lord says that we're in this new covenant. And he says, I'm going to make it with you, and I'm going to pour out my spirit. And he says, he says, I'm going to put something deep within them. I will put my instructions deep within them. Who loves that? And I will write them on their hearts. And here's the verse. I will be their God, and they will be my people. There's such a greater revelation to this than just being that he's God, and then I bow my knees and worship him as God. Yes, that's a reality. I tell you uh, all the time that he's our friend, but he is God, and it should make us humble. It should make us get low before him just knowing that, but there is a greater revelation he's talking about here, and it is literally an experiential, relational uh, thing that he's talking about here. Not just that he's a faraway God and that we're going to get low before him because he's God. He's actually prophesying, and I'm going to show you, about a time that would come where we would actually be intimately in communion with him. Not They already knew that he was God. They already had the law. He was already God. He had already, he's already doing constant miracles, miracles that we don't even see today. And he's doing those things, and he's prophesying about a time that he'll be our God and we'll be his people. He was already God, and he already had a people. What is he talking about? Yes, in Jeremiah, I get it. They had been kind of pulled away, so he is talking about them coming back. And this is that duality, uh, even you could say... Um, I don't know what the word would be, but the Lord sometimes will confirm his prophecies 10 and 20 times. He'll, he'll just keep saying, oh, that's what this prophecy was for over and over and over again. So the Bible here is telling us that there's a time that would come where we would be in this place of knowing him. Everybody say knowing him. 
And then Hebrews chapter 10 tells us in verse 19, it says, So, brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. He says, by his death, verse 20, Jesus opened a new, everybody say a new, here's the new covenant, Jesus delivered the new covenant to his people, and this is what he was desiring, here's what Jeremiah was prophesying, and we're going to look again, in, we're going to look at another verse in Revelation to bring it together, but here it is, here's the covenant that we can come into his presence. He said that he gave a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, verse 21, but what is it saying going back in verse 19? It says that we are called to boldly enter heaven's most holy place. You are not called merely to try to fulfill some sort of religious vows, although my life should reflect Christ, although my mouth should change, my thoughts should change, my, action, my actions will change, but I was not delivered from my sin by Christ himself, by his personal blood, to try to walk out a perfect life, I was called into his presence where something supernatural happens in me that bypasses me by the power of the Holy Spirit, causing me to do what I could not do in myself. And it says in verse 22, it says the same wording as James, just as the older text uses draw near. Here it is again. If you look at verse 22 in New King James and other texts of the similar era, let us draw near. In the NLT, it says, "What I, I love it because it says it, I think, so much, so clear for this language, although drawing near is just as powerful to me spiritually. The words in the NLT, I think, just say this so good for what I believe the Lord's trying to say right now. Let us go right into the presence of God. Verse 22 says, Jesus paid a price not just for you to be saved from hell, and not just, because that's really demeaning the cross of Christ, right, Dan? If all we think that Jesus did was saved you from hell, we are demeaning what Jesus was fulfilling, what God has desired all along, which is not just so have some people he doesn't know that he loves so much wandering around in his kingdom, but that he said, I want to know you, created us for communion, and he said, I'm willing to, to give you life. You realize, and now this is kind of a strong statement, so I'm going to tell you it's my opinion, and when it's my opinion, I usually warn you first. I don't believe God sends anyone to hell. I believe that you send yourself to hell by rejecting the offer. Again, I said that's my opinion, but I don't believe when, I'm, when I really scour the scriptures, it looks like Jesus said, I'm here. Anybody will listen 
Can you, would you please? The Lord's pleading with them. The Lord's grieving, in fact, when they reject him because he's just calling them and he's like, I'm going to give my own personal blood for you to know you. And so if you, if you get rid of the ideology that it's a heaven and hell thing, because it's such a simplicity of Christianity that it was never designed to be. Although, if I have one moment with somebody, a sinner on the street, and this is it, then heaven and hell is going to be an important topic. But you sitting here today, living a life on this earth, is, that is such a cheap Christianity. You have not merely just been saved from hell, but you have been called into his presence to know him. That's what it's all about. And in the benefit of knowing him, I don't go where he never wanted me to go all along. It's, the Bible says it, you know what? The Bible says it clearly. It wasn't for you. The Bible tells me it was for the devil and his fallen angels. It doesn't say it was for humanity. So the Bible says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. So what we're seeing here is what the Lord did through his blood was to provide a pathway for you that you couldn't do into his presence. What is he referring to here in Hebrew? Why the sprinkled blood? Why that word specifically? Come on, you Bible scholars, you know why. Jeannie certainly knows why. Because the, the blood of the lamb, when we're referring to Christ, was they would, they would take the blood of the animal and they would sprinkle it. And there was this, so he's referring back to what something that was done inside of the tabernacle, inside of the temple, uh, with the ark and with the sacrifice for your sins. He's referring there. And where is it happening? It's happening in the presence of God. You sent your animal in. There was this communion with you and the animal, but at this point now it's going to do something you can't do. It goes into a place. The blood goes somewhere you can't go. So the blood was able to get into his presence where you couldn't be. Because you would die, right? The Bible tells us clearly even the high priest had to have a rope around his ankle because even he might have a sin he wasn't aware of and would die. So this blood got into a place you couldn't get to. But Jesus said, I'm going to sprinkle my blood on you so that you can come into that place that even the animal had to be dead to come into. And even man who was holy and purified, one guy out of the whole world, the high priest, even he had to be careful. And I'm welcoming all of you, and he not just welcoming you, he says, come in boldly. He didn't just say, oh, this is an opportunity, but I want you to boldly come. I want you to know your rights. This is not demanding something before God. There's no demand here. That's not what I mean by my rights, but I want you to realize that you have not just, that, that's not even the right word. I don't even have the words in my language. I just feel it in my spirit. I want you to know that that's where I want you to be. And finally, I want you to look at a third chunk of scripture here to bring it together. And I mentioned this last week. I referenced it without the scripture. I want you to look with me in Revelation 
chapter 21. And I'm just so encouraged reading this from my own, my own spirit as I just kind of broke it down. I'm just going to give you some blips from it. You can go and read yourself. You can read Revelation 21 in your own time. I encourage you to do so. Verse 1 through verse 27. I'm just going to give you some highlights, but I'm telling you that's what I'm doing. Verse 1, just real quickly, uh, he sees a new heaven. And, you know, John's having this revelation. Everybody say the new heaven and the new earth. Who believes that Revelation is a picture of God's perfected or his, um, where, all, where his plan got all messed up and marred by sin and by the devil? Who believes that Revelation is a picture of God's perfect plan? So what we're about to read is what God, we can, we're allowed as Christians, this is amazing, I can look even from an imperfect place, I don't have to be curious and wonder what God's true desire is, because I actually have it. He's actually telling us from the future to now, this is what I really want. This is what it says. He says, I saw, verse 2, the holy city. Who knows there's going to be a new Jerusalem, a new city. Who knows the Lord's going to bring it down from heaven, because he's going to wipe it all away. New heaven, new earth. New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. In verse 3, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home or his tabernacle is now among his people. Now, the older text uses tabernacle. The NLT uses home. And the reason I'm mentioning tabernacle, because that's what his home was. God, in the Old Testament, he was still their God. Come on, let's, let's, just, let's just review, because this is important. Say, he was still God. He said, I'm with you always. I go before you. I'm your rear guard. Come on, all the promises. Those were Old Testament promises. And yet the presence of God, everybody say, but the presence of God was off limits. God was still their God in the Old Testament. Come on. New Testament, what did God, did he suddenly, be, yes, as Gentiles, we are access, although I'm 1% Jew, so somebody in my lineage was there. So I've accessed both ways. No, I'm just joking. Yes, as being a Gentile, I get it. We didn't have access before, we have access now. But that's, that's not it either. And Paul deals with that. He's like, no, it's Jew, Greek, slave, free, it's all the same. We all need Jesus the same way because it's not about religion. It was about something that he's been wanting to do since it was messed up in the garden. And he's going to finally, my book, my Bible says, I think yours does too in Revelation, I'm going to bring some restoration to what I wanted all along. And here's what he says. He says, my presence, which was trapped in a tabernacle, my presence because of your sin was held captive. When you're like, man, God held captive, God trapped. Listen, I don't understand it. I don't know why he lets the devil roam free, why he gives him so much time, and I don't really need to. Come on, let's just say it out loud. I don't need to know. But I know that for whatever reason, right, the demons are quibbling with Jesus. Remember the demons with Jesus with the pigs? You're going to judge us before the time? So somewhere the devil and the demons are aware of time. And they're aware that there's a time coming for their judgment. Come on, amen. 
That gives me some hope, too. Not only, not, it's not that I didn't believe it, but even the devil is pre- making preparations for his judgment. He knows it's inevitable. They know it's coming. But in the meantime, I don't understand why, but God's presence, it could not be with mankind. It just couldn't be. And Jesus, and, and, and God made a, a partial way through the blood of animals. The best that could be worked up, except without his blood of his own son. So ultimately, that's what Jesus did, was his own blood. And what the tabernacle and what the temple became, I mean, it's not a coincidence that it was destroyed in 70 AD. Because the physical thing was just a picture of what had already been done in the spirit. It had already been done on the cross. And that physical thing standing there, they didn't realize at the moment, but it was a dead shell of nothing. That's not where God was anymore. God wasn't in that building anymore. The veil was torn. He was now amongst his people. They were in Bible studies in their homes, right? That's why we read. In fact, the Lord gave me some comfort. I didn't know we were supposed to be a church, and I didn't know that we were a church. I just thought we were a Bible study. And so all of a sudden, I noticed through some of the books that Paul was writing, he says, to the church that meets in your home. And I started saying, wait a second, right? Suddenly, Dawn, I was like, I think the Lord's saying we're a church. I wasn't even trying to do that, but the Lord confirmed it and then made it really, really clear. But I saw that God's church is among his people. And I know I'm a broken record with this, because I think, but I'm going to keep saying it because I believe that the Lord's still trying to, don't get offended, but cram his revelation down into a place that's so full of other stuff. Our hearts are full of ideologies. It's not even your fault. It's just the way we're raised. Even this generation, this younger generation is being raised, and it's not his fault. It's not your fault as dad, but they have other ideologies that even we didn't have that are being crammed into their minds, and they're being forced to think this is right, that's wrong, this is up, that's down. And then Jesus comes along and says, I wanna, I'm going to break all those things, and it's a culture shock. So I understand that, but the Lord is calling to us and speaking to us nonetheless and saying, make some room for me because I have some revelation I want to get into your heart. So I'm going to keep saying it because he promises us that he says, verse four, this is the time and this is gives us, come on, Andy, right? We've, we've talked about this before. He sees every tear. There's a moment where he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe those tears away. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Verse 5, I'm going to make everything new. Everybody say he's making everything new. And in verse 6, you have a very interesting word. In verse 6, and I believe because the Bible is outside, who knows God is outside of time. I have a theory, and again, I'll tell you when it is, but I believe when God rested on the seventh day in Genesis, when Jesus said it's finished on the cross, and in the future, when Jesus it's prophesying of a time when he says it's finished, I believe God outside of time, it's all sandwiched together into one single moment outside of time. When God rested Jesus on the cross, us, new heavens, new earth, it's all finished. You can... It doesn't really matter if we believe it or not. 
But what I'm trying to get here is that the Lord's telling us ahead of time. Everybody say he's telling me ahead of time, right? That, that he's going to finish this sorrowful, painful, fleshy, God-trapped in a box, God-trapped only in heaven, and us just wandering around aimlessly on the earth. He says, to all who are thirsty, I will freely give the springs of the water of life. How do I know that that's for now, too? Because, again, Jesus said 2,000 years ago it's finished, and he said more than once, come to me and I'll give you a drink. I'll give it to you freely. Come to me. So here we are. We're seeing in Revelation it's in the future, but Jesus already said it was done 2,000 years ago. And what I want us, the reason I'm making that point is that we're reading about something in the future, but I can read into God's heart what his desire is because I can point to where he's already done what he said he's going to do, which means maybe not the fulfillment of the fullness in a new body, in a new heaven, and a new earth, but the same concept, the same heart of God in this temporary place of pain existence, this place where God isn't face-to-face, but nonetheless, he's still saying to us today that you can come to me if you're thirsty. It's finished. Verse 10, he sees the holy city. He sees it descending from heaven. Verse 11, it's shown with the glory of God. And verse 22, and this is the verse I referenced last week, because this is very, very, very significant. It's, I just, I can't, I can't express it in words, but I feel by the Spirit of God that this revelation, it needs to become a pillar in his people today. There are people in third world countries being tortured for Christ, even present tense. And if they were a churchy entity Christian who suddenly were ripped away from their pastor, from their brothers and sisters, and from the building, could they remain a Christian? Would you remain a Christian? If everything you know, if this room is gone, if I'm gone, would you remain? And I believe in this room it is a mature people, but I just want to, I still want to say, I'm still saying it to be said. It says, I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. We'll look again. Are we looking? Who believes? Let's just say it again. When we look at Revelation, am I looking at the perfection of God, what he truly wants? And when there's no restriction, there's no sin restriction, the Bible, this, the devil's already been thrown in the lake of fire, death's in the lake of fire. This is the perfect place that God is redesigning. He's remaking it. And in that place... I'm not going to be on my own, and then I suddenly go and get into God's presence. I'm just going to be in his presence. How can I prove that? Well, it says right here, there's no need for sun or moon because the glory of the Lord, the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. His glory is everywhere. I'm not going to go to try to seek God and find him. He'll be everywhere. It says, verse 24, the nations will walk in its light, And verse 27, the only ones allowed to enter 
are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. Isn't that so powerful? One day, we will face Jesus face to face just like this. But because I know his heart, 2,000 years after it's written, I'm still reading it today, I know his heart 2,000 years after it was penned down, and from some unforeseen time in the future, this will be fulfilled. I already know God's heart. I already know what he wants most of all. I already know what God wants. I don't want a temple. I don't want religion. I also don't want sin and death and all the things that get between us that kind of causes us to be stuck in that place. This is what I want. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Now, this verse has been used, right? Who's used this verse talking to unbelievers? I've used it. It's been used on me. I've heard this verse preached many times about the offer of Christ for salvation. And that would that be true, Dan, right? If I said that it's sure. But that's not fully what he's saying. He's not just that I want to save you. He says, I'm standing at the door of your heart. And we know that it's inside of us because he says, I'm going to come in. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. I'm going to come in. We will share a meal together as friends. Or I will dine with you. Older text says, I will dine with you. What is dining? It's very important that we get this. It is not just, the Lord's not like, oh, I'll give you food. I'll take care of you. Sure, he will. But we're going to have communion. What I really want, I'm standing at the door of your heart, because what I really want is I want us to be in communion. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want to talk with you. I want to spend time with you. I want you to not wonder, to not worry, to not fear, not just because I said it, but because you believe it, because we are one. Amen. There's a faith-God connection that's evident in almost every story of the entire Bible. It's very clear. When you go through your whole Bible, I didn't write, I didn't, there's a, there's a saying, right? I didn't make the rules, just, I just try to follow them, right? The cops say, you know, I didn't write the law, I'm just enforcing it, right? I didn't, all I'm doing is looking at his word and just telling you what it says. But the Bible is very clear that there is something that God wants to do in us today. But even if you didn't believe that, you cannot deny when you go through your word that almost every single time God moved in a person's life, God presents an offer. Come on, who remembers? He gives an offer, and the person has the choice to what they want to do with it. You can go through character after character after character. I was just thinking, just, just quickly, I told you I would reference it. We've got in Luke, 
we've got Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but he wasn't necessarily changed yet. We know that because he hadn't repented. He hadn't given his money back, but he want, there was a desire in him that Jesus said, I must be the guest in your house today. And that's really where the, there's a scripture of what the Lord was speaking to me. He said, when, if I called you, would you make room for me? If I could, if we're going to, would you, would you let me do something in your life that I haven't done so far? And the Bible says Zacchaeus climbed down. He took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. I also thought about how Moses, he's just walking along and minding his own business. He was a shepherd. And the Bible says that God appeared. There's a burning bush. And the Bible says very clearly, it says that he turned aside. He turned aside and said, I must go see this. And then something, then the Lord says, don't get too close, take off your shoes. But the Lord just appeared. He just comes and appears in our lives. Who's had him do this? And he's just going to wait and see what you're going to do. Now, is the Lord testing us in some sort of like, let me test you and see how you'll react? That's not his heart. But I've seen him appear and I've ignored him. I'm just being honest. We've all done it. Maybe you don't even know you've done it. There's other times where I saw him appear. I'm talking metaphorically, right? But it's just a moment in your life where, like, you know that I need the Lord now. And when you turn to him, then this reaction began to happen. That's where me drawing in, him drawing in, me drawing in, then I get deeper, he gets deeper. I'm getting deeper and deeper, he's getting deeper and deeper. Another example is the woman with the issue of blood. And I looked at her, I just mentioned her some last week or week before. But what's amazing about her is the Bible says that there was a crowd that thronged Jesus. In fact, if you want to study it out, the Bible says that that word thronged, the full meaning of it, is that the crowd was so tight that Jesus was being moved by the crowd. That's what thronged means. It means that you've ever been in a crowd like that? You're not in control. You're like stuck in this thing. And yet the Bible says that when she touched him, Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples, even his own disciples said to him, what do you mean? Who touched you? They literally said, Jesus, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? Everyone's touching you. The Bible says that Jesus in the flesh was in the crowd. And meanwhile, everyone's touching him, but only one person really touched him. Isn't that amazing? And finally, the last thing I was thinking about is in Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes into his own, his own hometown. Jesus returns to Nazareth, and they scoff at him in Mark 6, and they say, he's just a carpenter. He's the son of Mary. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. And the Bible says in Mark 6, they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And verse 5 says, because of their unbelief, he, this is Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus was held back because of their unbelief. It says, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And it says, 
verse 6. This is Mark 6, verse 6. It says, Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. There was Jesus giving the same offer to Nazareth that he had given to town after town after town. I read about another town. It literally says Jesus healed all. And here he is in Nazareth. And what's the difference? It was their unbelief. I don't understand it all, but somehow there is, the, there is a faith-God connection in the Bible. It, you can think of it as God being the power outlet. You are nothing. You're just a vacuum cleaner. All right? Let's just make it something that you don't even like. Who likes a vacuum cleaner? I'm closing here. We're going to have communion together. You are nothing. Your, your job's to clean dirt. All the power is in the outlet. And yet... You come to life by connecting with the power. Once that plug gets connected, now you, which are just a vacuum cleaner, could appear to have all the power and all the glory, but you have now been connected to the Lord. I don't understand it, but there is a connection that you're going to, you go through your Bible, go from Genesis all the way through all the apostles, all the disciples, every story, when a person believed God and trusted him. And I want to say this because this is important. I'm just going to read what I wrote. It doesn't mean instantaneous results because faith is not faith in faith. It's faith in God. I can, you could look at many, many examples where even Jesus said, keep praying like the unjust judge, right? Keep praying, keep believing. It doesn't mean instantaneous. It doesn't mean in the way or the fashion that you might think. But we need to know this. I need to just step back. I need to just stop trying to overthink it. I need to just say, Lord, I believe you. I believe your word. I don't know what's going on in my time. I don't know what happened in the 2,000 years from when this is written to now. And I don't know when heaven is going to come onto the earth. It's all made new. But what I do know is this. I know you made an offer to me. And I know you made an offer to many. And Lord, somehow there was a disconnection of that throng. Literally, people could throng you in the flesh. The Lord's here today. The Lord's speaking to us today. I want to just have communion together. We hadn't done this in a while. And... Um, to be honest, I didn't even make the connection that I would be, when I was talking about knowing him, that it would be so much about communion. But really, that's what this is. Jesus was not talking about doing a religious act, right? Who believes that this is a cracker and this is juice? Right? Is this a cracker and is this juice? Right? This cup was manufactured in China, most likely. It's not his blood, it's not his body, and yet it is. Why? Because my religious action is what? It is faith. It's a remember, this, do this in remembrance of me. What I'm doing is I'm carving out a, t a moment in time. This is why co communion is not religious. I'm going to carve this moment out in time. I'm going to take time right now and say, Lord, my word says... That if I will call on you, you will answer me. My word says that if I will make space for you, if I will draw too close to you, you will draw close to me. You promised that you would meet me here. 
in whatever my issue is, whatever is going on in my life, that's all pushed aside. I need to experience your presence right now. And the Lord says, do it often. And we break the cracker, right, in symbol. This is religious. I'm doing something religious. But there is a faith in me that says, I remember what Jesus did for me. And in that act of religion, which is just an act for millions and millions of people all across the world every week, to me, I'm remembering, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to commune with you. So we're just going to take his body. The Bible said it was broken for me. He did it for you and I. Jesus did not do it for himself. He had nothing to prove. He did not need to prove anything to the devil. He was still God. This was to break us free, to give us communion. And so, Lord, we take your blood, and we just I just want to pray, all right? I'm just going to just take a moment, just hold your cup. I thank you that this blood, Lord, this juice, Lord, we remember that this represents your blood. It's on the doorpost of our house. And your word says that the spirit of death came and it passed over when it saw that blood. I thank you, Lord, that here today in 2023, that your blood was shed to give us life. Lord, it was shed to protect us. It was shed to give us heaven. And it was shed, Lord, so that we could come in to the knowledge, Lord, not knowledge in our mind, into the knowing, Lord, that I can know you. I'm, a, I'm allowed into the place that no one was allowed because of this blood. So, Lord, I remember that. It's a reminder that I need to know you, Lord. So we just take it together. And thank you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.